You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. All right. Um, so we're in this little series where we're exploring on Sundays how, how do we go deeper with God? How do we grow in our relationship with Him? How do we grow deeper with Him? How do we become more intimate with Him? And the word we're using is intimacy. The word we're using is you know, intimate. And over the years, I've wanted to, many times I've tried to kind of come up with a different word to intimate because a lot of people find that word difficult. A lot of people in our kind of highly sexualized culture, especially guys, I, th- I think, you know, that, that word intimacy can feel a little bit uncomfortable when we apply it to God and when we apply it to our relationship with him. So I've used all sorts of different words over the years. I've used words like connected like oh we i just want to be more connected to god but really that the word connected just describes that kind of mechanical part of the relationship it doesn't really describe a relationship does it connected so i've used words like close like i want to be closer to god i want to be closer to god and the word close describes proximity but it doesn't really describe quality of relationship you know you can be close but not healthy not good not whole and so I find myself time and time again coming back to, to expressing it this way, intimacy, intimacy, having an intimate, sweet, close, connected relationship with Jesus, with him. And I know for lots of people, particularly some guys, that makes them feel uncomfortable when they think about God and they think about intimacy. But sometimes truth is uncomfortable. Sometimes the truth of what God wants for us and has for us it can make us feel uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. One of the fears that many people have in, in developing an intimate relationship with God is that somehow uh, it will diminish your sense of his holiness. It will diminish your sense of his power. It will diminish your sense of his mighty Godliness. Uh, a friend of mine has this uh, phrase, which is making the Almighty the Almighty, and um, uh, and I mean that's something to be aware of. I mean, we, it's something to be aware of. But I, I I feel like no, I feel like no. I I feel like there isn't a balance. The closer you get to Him, the more you know Him, the more intimate you are with God the more you see his holiness, the more you understand his greatness, the more you are in awe of who he is. Um, we see this very clearly in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in, in, um, throughout the Old Testament, there's little scenes like this, but this is a particular one. In Leviticus 10, Aaron, who's a priest, he has two sons who are also priests, and they're called Nadab and Abihu. And... Um, Awesome names, right? And they, um, and they're, they're priests, and so part of their priestly role is to, to bring the fire um, as an offering to God. And what they, they do is they get a good idea. They're like, oh, let's not just give the fire. Let's give some incense in the fire as well, you know, which is totally contrary to what God had asked them to do. God had said, bring fire. And they're like, no, we know better. We're going to bring fire and incense. Um, and what happens is then, as they approach God, 
A fire comes out of the presence of the Lord and then just barbecues them and they die. And um, they get killed, they get crispy fried. And uh, God immediately says this. He speaks and he says, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. Among those who come near to me, I will be proved holy. By approaching God, our sense of his holiness does not diminish. On the contrary, for those who come close to him, they will know even more that he is holy and he is good. So, you know, you can look forward to a barbecuing and you know, getting crispy fried the next time you approach God. No, that's, <laughs> that's not how it is. Because of what Jesus has done, because of our status with him, because of how confident we can be in what he's done, we don't get fried or barbecued when we come close to him. But we still experience his holiness. In, um, the New Testament's really clear on this. In, in Hebrews, it says this, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And then later on, it says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. And in the Old Testament, when you approached God and you were in disobedience to him, you got fried. In the New Testament, and now for us, for those who believe in Jesus, as we approach him, we don't get fried. But we see and experience his holiness nonetheless. And we get to experience that without dying. We get to experience that holiness, that otherness. And the... The way theologians describe this is like, lots of the books I've read have described it like this. It's like a balance. They describe it as a balance between his transcendence on one hand, and his transcendence means his holiness, his power, his otherness, his sense of being perfect beyond anything we can imagine, his transcendence on one hand. And on the other hand, it's what's called his imminence. And his imminence means his closeness, his accessibility, his presence with us. And the way um, theologians often describe it is like, you know, don't get too close to him. Because <laughs> as you get too close to him, you start forgetting how holy he is. Or they say it the other way, you know, don't just stand at a distance. You have to come close to him. Otherwise, he's just going to be this great big distant God and you're not going to know how much he loves you. Right? And so I think, you know, in our... The way we often think of things is, is opposites. And you know, there's a balance. And the theologians describe this like, like there's a balance between transcendence and imminence. And we can't, you can't do both. It's like you've got to be careful of how you balance it. But I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think there's a balance to be had. Because I don't think those two things contradict each other. The more you experience intimacy with God the more you know his holiness. The more you know his holiness, the more you are led in awe and wonder and love of who he is and you are drawn to come close to him. And that is really one of the great mysteries of our faith. That this incredible, all-powerful God would come near to us small, weak, sinful beings. It's a compelling mystery that leads us to worship and wonder and love at his goodness and his grace. And we're not called to try and balance those things out. We're called to do them both. Feet on both pedals. 
Intimacy with him is what he wants us to have, to know him, to love him, to have deep, rich, healthy relationship with him. So you might be hearing this and you might be thinking, yeah, I love it. I want that. I want a deep, rich, profound, healthy relationship with God. I want an intimate relationship with God. I want that kind of relationship with him. But how? How do I go about it? I think there are two essential things for a healthy, intimate relationship. A healthy, intimate relationship needs two things invested. It needs time and it needs trust. And when we're talking about our relationship with God and we're talking about a healthy relationship that has time and that has trust, we're really talking about our side of the bargain. Because God literally has all the time in the world. He literally has all the trust in us. He trusts us. He believes in us in a way that we don't believe in ourselves. He believes in us in a way that nobody else in the face of this planet would believe in us. He trusts us and he has all the time in the world. And so for us to grow in intimacy with him, for, for that deep, profound relationship to grow, we need to invest We need to invest our time and we need to invest our trust in him. It's the only way that a relationship can be intimate and healthy, time and trust. Jesus regularly spoke about the nature of his relationship with the Father. He he made it clear that he had an intimate relationship with the Father. But even he, even the man who had the most profound relationship with the Father needed to invest time in that. We see time and again that he withdraws. He withdraws himself to pray and be on his own to invest in his relationship with the Father. Without time invested, you could say that there, it's impossible to have intimacy. It's impossible to, to know your children well. It's impossible to know your spouse well. It's impossible to have good friendships. And it's, and it's the same with God. It's impossible to know him and have a deep, intimate, profound relationship with him if we're not willing to invest time. But so often, I mean, we know this. We know this, but often we don't feel like it. We don't feel like we want to spend the time with him. We let how we feel dictate the extent to which we're willing to spend time with God. We let our circumstances dictate to us how much time we're willing to spend with him. And I think it's because we don't realize or maybe we just forget what time with the Father can do to those feelings, what time with the Father can do for our circumstances. A while ago, I was reading through the book of John and I came to uh, chapter 10. And something I read in chapter 10 just blew me away. I think it's probably one of the most encouraging, inspiring, challenging things about relationship with God and about investing time with him. And, it, and as I read this piece of scripture, it changed the way that I viewed my time with him. It changed the way that I viewed my relationship with God. So we're going to read in John 10 now. 
A little bit of context here. The context here is that Jesus is, has been teaching and has been claiming things about himself and has been performing miracles. And this has really got up the noses of the religious people and the Pharisees. And uh, this is where we are in the story. So this is John chapter 10, and it says, Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed. Well, I'm sure that blew you away with your relationship with God. I'm sure it's never going to be the same again. Thank you. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) This is what I saw here when I read this. I'd read this before, but I'd never seen this. Jesus' ministry and his claims have been causing this build-up of pressure with the Pharisees, with the religious people. And it reaches this point where they are trying to stone him. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to grab him and take him and seize him away to the authorities so he can be persecuted and killed. And at this point, His identity is under attack. The nature of his claims, who he says he is, his identity is under attack. His integrity is being challenged. His very life is at risk. And facing these risks, he addresses them. But after he addresses them, what he does is he retreats. But he doesn't retreat to hide or cower away, he retreats to remember. In verse 40, it says this at the end. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed. This is what happened at Jesus' baptism. This is what he's going back to Jordan to remember. This is where he stays to remember again. In Matthew 3, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When Jesus has his identity threatened and he is under attack, he returns to the place where he heard the Father's voice. He returns to remember who he is, who the Father says he is, the Father's pleasure and delight in him. It's easy 
to develop intimacy with, with God when you are on a spiritual roll. When everything seems to be moving forward. When things are good. When you see God, you know God, you're experiencing God. To experience him then again is, isn't hard. But when adversity strikes, when our, our identity is threatened, when our very calling is threatened and questioned by those around us, when there is danger that faces us, what do we do? This is what it means to give him our trust as well as our time. To return to the Father, to return to him to hear his voice, rather than trying to plow through things on our own. To trust that what we need is found in him and nowhere else. When our life circumstances are hard and we face adversity and we have this sense of our identity being threatened or our calling being threatened or just things seem too much for us, what we need isn't found in entertainment in three hours of a movie or TV just to kind of take our mind off things. What, what we need isn't found in a couple of drinks to kind of take the edge off. What we need isn't found in fantasies of sex or money or a bigger house or a better kitchen. What we need to face the opposition and adversity in our lives, what we need to face threats to our identity and our calling is found only in the Father. Only in his voice, only in his word. We get one other glimpse into Jesus' personal time with the Father. It mentions lots of times that he goes away. He withdraws and, you know, it just says that he, he withdraws. But one other time, um, he invites two people along with him. And uh, it's what's called the transfiguration. And Jesus goes off with, with his two disciples and they go up on to a hill and onto a mountain. Um, they go up. And... What happens is the same thing. The same thing that happens at his baptism. The spirit descends, this time in the form of a cloud rather than a dove. And a voice speaks from heaven and says again, this is my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is my speculation because it, you know, it, it doesn't say this explicitly, but I'm going to speculate. I wonder, I just wonder, if every time Jesus withdrew from the crowds, every time he withdrew, he just received again. This is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. He heard the father's voice. He experienced the father's love. He remembered who he is and he just grew in that deep, profound relationship with him. And just grew again.
That kind of relationship just that Jesus had is the kind of relationship I want. But again, how? I don't think I probably need to convince you that a healthy, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus and with the Father is good. I hope you see that. But again, I want to look at how. When I became a Christian when I was in my teenage years, immediately after I became a Christian and I, you know, I became on fire for him, like the people around me, youth workers and, and uh, pastors and things like that, said, you need to spend time with God every day. It's about relationship with him. What you need to do is spend time with God every day. So this is what you do. What you do is you get up at 6 o'clock every morning. Every morning without fail. Because that's what discipline is. And you get up and you spend an hour. Anything less than that. Maybe 50 minutes. We'll let you off. 50 minutes. You need to spend an hour with God in scripture every morning. And so I tried that. <laughs> tried being the, you know, the key word. And um, but I was a teenager, and like any teenage, like almost every teenage boy that I've ever met, like I had my natural routine was to wake up, get showered, get dressed, eat breakfast in seven minutes flat, because I'm leaving it to the last possible moment to get out of bed before I absolutely have to get out the door and get to school. Right? That's what teenage boys do. And so trying to then introduce this new like, discipline into my life, I, it, you know, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to spend an hour every morning with Jesus. But like, I tried, and so then I'll do it for like maybe a week. Or maybe ten days, you know. And I'd feel so proud of my discipline. You know, I'm doing this, yes. And then just one moment, you know, one morning you'd be tired and you, you'd miss it. You'd miss the alarm or whatever. And then I'd just feel crushed with like guilt of that sense that I was just a terrible, terrible Christian. And when you're crushed with that sense of guilt that you've broken a discipline, you know, does that drive you then to the next day to do it again? No, you just feel like, oh, I've blown it. <laughs> or it does for me. I feel like, oh, that's it. I've blown it. I'm going to sack it in. You know, until you feel so guilty that you feel like I have to start again. And then you start again. And then you feel guilty again when you miss one. And so it would go in this kind of patchy way. So eventually I kind of released myself from that pressure. and thought, no, what I'm going to do is because, you know, I'm not very good at getting up in the morning. I'm going I'm to pray every night for an hour. So before I go to sleep, I'm going to pray every night for an hour. Which basically would mean me waking up at some point, drooling on my Bible... After I fell asleep, and I still have parts of Deuteronomy, which I can't read, because of drool, and probably some boogers too. And and that didn't work either. And so I would kind of, as a young Christian, I'd walk around with this kind of cloud of guilt at my own indiscipline. Such a terrible worm I am. (laughs) And one of the things that hinders our... Our pursuit of God is that we feel like it has to be done in a certain time, in a certain way. And, and, you know, we can all see that. Wouldn't that be awesome if I did that every morning? Wouldn't that be awesome if I did that every morning? But I'm, I would try and I couldn't. I would try and I couldn't. But as I begin, as I 
began to grow, I realized that God is not short on time or availability. And as I began to understand that, I found my personal relationship with him would begin to grow and grow. And I found ways that I could connect with him that meant that I wasn't in this kind of guilt-pride cycle. And so every morning, what I do even now is like, as I shower every morning, I, I use that time to pray and to worship and to ask God to be with me today and ask him to speak to me today. As I drive to work, as I'm stuck in traffic, you know, I don't just put on the talk radio and listen to whatever the blowhards on the radio are blowing hard about. But I pray. Sometimes I'll put worship music on, sometimes I won't. And I'll just worship and pray. I'll pray in tongues. I'll seek him. I'll pursue him. I'll ask him to speak to me. I'll develop and invest in that relationship with him. Whenever I go to the gym, which is obviously every day, That's not funny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) When I go to the gym, every day, obviously. When I go to the gym, I um I I put my I put my um worship playlist on. And I just devote this time. It's like the time I'm gonna spend here, I'm gonna spend forty five minutes here, an hour here. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna double use that time. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, and often I use it like, you know, because I'm, when I'm lifting, like, sometimes I can only do like 350, you know, and so, and I really, you know, 400 is my normal. And so, <laughs> um, ounces. <laughs> and, and so, you know, like when I'm persevering on whatever I'm doing at the gym, it's like rather than sacking it off and going to the steam room early, you know, rather than just hitting the sauna. And I, I press and I persevere. And I, I kind of use that as a spiritual metaphor. And I say, okay, Lord, as I press in to try and do this, I'm going to press in and try and seek you, know you, get through whatever it is I'm going through in life with you. I keep a Bible in my bathroom. I let you fill in the gaps. Whenever I'm at the doctor, doctor's or the dentist or I'm waiting for my car to be fixed, I try and resist that urge to play Angry Birds again. And, you know, because I'm awesome at Angry Birds. But I try and resist that urge. And I, you know, get out the Bible app and read something. And just filling my time. Filling, taking opportunity to invest in my relationship with God. And do you know what I find? I find that as I build momentum in this area and as I... Find ways, creative ways of spending time with him. It makes getting up in the morning so much easier. It makes that I'm going to spend an hour with God so much easier. And so I do, because I, I, there is nothing like, there is nothing like opening a Bible, having an open Bible in front of you in a journal, and having 45 minutes, an hour, where you can just devote time to him and read the scriptures. I mean, People say that that's good and that's healthy and it's a great discipline because it is. But I, just the way I'm working, it's like some people just love discipline and some people just 
love getting up early. I mean, that's not me. And so I just build it into my week. I build in two, three, four times a week where I will just spend that extended period of time with him and just receive and just read and invest in that way. There is nothing better than, than that, I think. But I needed that momentum to do that. Just the cold, hard discipline. It's, I'm just too lazy. I mean, I needed the fire. I needed the rela- I need it to be a relationship. I need it to be a relationship. And, and the more I've done that, the more it's become a relationship. And I experience God all the time. I experience God, you know, way better than when I just boxed it into an hour or 45 minutes. When I boxed it into an hour and 45 minutes, that's all I got. But as I began to open up my life to a relationship with him, as I began to open up my life to relationship with him and develop that, then it became easier and easier and easier. I love that little word that Anthony had. He shared with it just before I came to speak. God is not in a power struggle with the enemy. He's in a love struggle with us. Love that. I love it. What he wants is our hearts. What he wants is our time. What he wants is to grow. And pour out himself into us. And the more we give him time and space for him to do that, the more he does. Just pours out himself in us. As the more we give opportunity to withdraw and say, Father speak, he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus needed it, if Jesus needed it, then how much more do I? A lot is the answer to that question. Why don't we stand?